Uh, just remember, I'm uh, wanted in 14 states, <laughs> not as a bandit, but uh, it's good to be with you all. And uh, let me say greetings to you from Grace Missionary Baptist Church in uh, Cerrito, Canova, and uh, we are so thankful for that, and also for the wonderful invitation uh, to come and be with you today. Uh, I remember this is that uh, not too long ago, I received a phone call that said, you're going to be invited and Brother Chuck gave me the, the call to let me know that about your Bible conference, and I was excited to get that news. And then I kept waiting on your pastor to call me, and call me, and call me. I left like 1,400 messages to the pastor, uh, just saying, "Is what's the plan? Where are we at? What's going on? And uh, he finally uh, talked with me, and, and what we found was a common spirit. Uh, you know, I don't blame the pastor, and in fact, I am very much a believer and church authority. And so even though someone might desire another preacher to come in, it's ultimately the responsibility of the church to not only vote, to extend the offering for one man to come in preach. And so I never want to usurp or even think that I can usurp the power of God even in his church, even in his congregations that he has across the land. I'd like for you to take your Bibles and we're going to open up to the book of Acts chapter 26, and I'll turn along over with you. We, uh, I like doing the Bible studies whenever I get the opportunity to preach. And sometimes I'll make reference uh, to the Bible uh, and just a particular passage like your pastor did this morning where he said that uh, he was uh, paraphrasing a particular verse. You know, many years ago, I, I had the same desire of heart. In Psalms chapter 37, it says, delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of thine heart. Well, there's a, there's a combination there. If you're going to put the verse that the desires of your heart ahead of delighting thyself in the Lord, you're going to mess up. But the longer that I find that I delight myself in the Lord, the more that my desires change towards his direction and not my own. And so for that reason, I have a great desire not only to preach the word of God, but to preach it in its fullness and its truth. So in the book of Acts chapter 26, I want to give you a little bit of a, a, a beginning, if you will, a little bit of a, a catalyst, if you will, to help springboard. The apostle Paul is now going to be standing in front of Agrippa, King Agrippa. Now, this is not the, the, the terrible King Agrippa of the day of Jesus. This would have been uh, most unlikely his grandson. That is uh, more mellow. He's a little bit easier to get along with. And uh, already he's been tempted by Felix, who is a governor of the land, if you will. And King Agrippa is going to listen to what Paul has to say in the message that's going to be delivered to him. But in so doing, he is also going to be on trial for his faith. And that's what I want to get at today as I bring to you what I would. Let's look at verse 1. Then King, or then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Now, that's pretty interesting, isn't it? There's the law. You're permitted and you're allowed to speak for yourself. We're going to give you this opportunity. Then Paul stretched forth his, the hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all things whereof I am accused of the Jews. 
especially because I know thee to be expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the the straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope and the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our twelve tribes instantly serving God day and night hope to come, for which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise from the dead? I verily thought that myself, that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly mad against them, I persuaded even them even unto strange cities, whereunto I am went to Damascus, the authority and the commission from the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me, them which journey with me. And then, and when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But arise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for the purpose to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and know those things in which we will appear unto thee. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I will send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereunto, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and of Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. By the way, King Agrippa is a Gentile. He was an Edomite. He was not a Jew. So you realize that he is preaching the word to an Edomite. Just a bar note. For these these causes, the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue to this day witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as he thus spake for himself... Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. And he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus. But speak forth the words of truth so bit, or, and so bitterness. The king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. So I am persuaded that none of these things which are hidden from him. For the thing was not done 
in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. That's where we're going to end. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. It's interesting that Brother Ron brought up this point earlier today that, you know, in the workplace, there are people that are going to constantly be watching over us. They're going to watch our mannerisms. They're going to watch everything that we say, everything we do. When we get angry, what's the words that come out of our mouth? When we are praising God, what's the words that come out of our mouth? What do we believe and what are people going to see? And the reality is, is that when we think about these things, we are literally living a life for Christ so that we may persuade others to want to know who Jesus is in our life as well. So as we present the word of God today, I do ask that you would pray with me that the Lord will bless not only the preaching of the word, but he will give me the complete liberty and the words to speak this morning. Let us pray. Father, again, we want to thank you for the blessings that you showed upon us. Lord, it's a new congregation that you allow me to stand before, not new to you, but new to me. And I know, Father, that in many ways they want to carry on the truth, not only into this beautiful valley, right seated between South Point and Cold Grove and all the regions round about. And Lord, everyone that gets to hear this message, I pray that you will bless and that you will provide and that you will give those things that are necessary for our benefit. Help us, Lord, to come out of our comfort zone. Help us, Lord, as Brother Ron had made mention, have a great dependency upon you and not ourselves, for not only for the things we say and do, but for all that you would have for us to deliver unto a dying world that Jesus will soon appear and show himself to. Help us, dear Father, to be faithful in all things, and may we rejoice in thy name. Give now, I pray, the power to preach the word, and help me, Lord, to deliver those things which are necessary not only for myself, for the members of the church that I pastor that are here in attendance, but for everyone that hears this message. For it's in Christ we pray. Amen. Last night I uh, was not able to attend with you all. I told Brother Ron that I am uh, getting ready to have my 50th class reunion. And wasn't that wonderful? 50 years, it's hard to believe someone this good looking could spend 50 years out of high school, but I am a survivor, okay? And in fact, I want to get a shirt that says, I survived this world no matter what. But here's the thing that was interesting. I write a daily message, if you will, I call it to today's thought, and I bring it out for everyone to read. And we get into a little bit of everything for people that read it uh, because it gets into uh, the things of current events. It gets into the world. It gets into the things of Christ, but always for the benefit of others that they may read. And it's amazing how many of my own schoolmates have read this particular article. And as I went around the room last night, I had a lot of people said, oh, we read your materials. We read your materials. And, And that felt pretty good. And then I realized something. I was in the midst of friends. It's easy, Brother Ron, to preach amongst congregation where people, for the most part, are not picking up stones ready to stone you. But when we have to deliver the Word of God in a difficulty such as what Paul is preaching to King Agrippa, it's a whole other story. Did you notice in verse 1 what it said? And Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted... Now, most people fail to realize this, but Paul stood in the seat of judgment. He was standing there 
being accused of King Agrippa, and also he had appealed to Caesar to have his message heard. And so while Paul stood there, here was this king, here was this, this, this monarch, if you will, who was not really a, uh, a Jewish leader, but was given permission out of the Caesarean opportunities to be the king over Palestine. And he said, I'm going to let you talk. I'm going to let you present your case. I'm going to let you speak your word. And I wondered, as Paul was there, all fear was taken away from him. You know, we often talk about that. I am afraid I, that, I'm, that I am not saved, that I may have questions in myself, whether I'm redeemed or not. If you really want to understand how powerful the redemption is that's in you, commit sin. Where do you run to when you commit sin? Do you run to Jesus Christ for forgiveness or do you say, well, I just got to do better. I got to hope myself better. It's not going to do any good if you're hoping in yourself. You have to run to the Redeemer to say, forgive me, Lord. And you know what's interesting? 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 says, he is faithful and just to forgive us all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. That means every sin that I commit in this sermon alone... And you say, well, how can you possibly sin in this sermon? How many times have I misread something that was written in the Word of God? That's sin. How many of us know the thoughts that we have to cast from our minds, even while the preaching is occurring? It's interesting that one of the brothers that I uh, was listening to, he said, you know, the world's worst thing that can happen is people will sit in their church pews and they'll play with their cell phones. And then he made mention of the pastor's wife as being the worst offender. And I turned around and I looked at her and she goes, I don't even have a cell phone. <laughs> but how many people have been distracted from the things of God to entertain themselves even with cell phones? I was told, Brother Ron, as I walked in the door, the cell service here is pretty bad. So you're, you're in a wonderful area. <laughs> the reality is, is that no matter how we look at it, there is sin at the door. And so we can't have confidence in ourselves. Our confidence must be in Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting is Paul gives something that we all must be ready to do. He gives testimony of himself and of his conversion. And notice that in, if we go down to verse 14, he speaks how that the Lord came to him and spoke to him in Hebrew, but he didn't call him Paul. He called him by his original name. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now, here's the thing that's interesting. And we had this discussion today, brother, when we were downstairs eating a donut together. We, a lot of times, will hear the common verse that is quoted today. Not John 3.16. Matthew 7, chapter 1. Judge not lest you be judged. And yet, if you talk to an individual, I'm not judging, I'm warning. I'm warning you. Paul went from warning and seeing the testimony of those that he had persecuted to hearing the voice of the Lord God saying, Why are you persecuting me? How am I persecuting you, Lord? By persecuting those that believe on my name. We realize that everywhere that we turn, people are looking to us and they want to know just where we get our zeal. 
They want to know where we get our testimony. They want to know where we get our message. And you know, the fact of the matter is, when people ask me questions, I'm not afraid to answer those questions. Last night, you know, there was a lot of people that were there, and I, I, I was sitting at a table uh, with uh, some of the folks that I had graduated with and others, and as I was sitting there, of course, there's alcohol and things like that, but I wasn't there for the alcohol. I was there for a higher calling. I was there to tell them of Jesus Christ whenever the opportunity came. Now, when I am in the, the realm like we are here today, man, I can speak freely all day long and then some. But when I'm in the lion's den, when people are there to judge me, when people want to put me under the microscope, when people want to have the observation glass to see what kind of person I am, I have to change. And that's what I'm speaking on today. What would I do if I was allowed to stand before the magistrates? If I'm given the opportunity, is there enough evidence in me to convince the world that I am a believer, that I truly trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. From the very get-go, I was asking the pastor, what is the, the, the message? What is the theme of this conference? And, you know, the reality is, as he said, there's not really a theme. You preach as the Lord lays things upon your heart. And it was interesting, as I was preparing for this message, the one thought that came to me was my power to persuade by the grace of God. I want you to see this. If we go down into verse 28 of this same passage, we read this. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Now, I'm not saying that we are to go around and, and, and browbeat someone until they finally fall to their knees. No, but we must preach the Word of God in its simplicity and in its truth so that others want to know about this Jesus. Let me see if that's not true. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to 2 Corinthians, and let's go to chapter 5, and we're going to go down to verse 11. And there's so many people that don't understand that this is in the Bible. 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let's go down to verse 11, and notice what it says. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. So understand, we're standing in, in judgment of the Lord. We persuade men. I, I want to stop here for a moment. There is one thing that I, I have told the church where I pastor at. And one of the things that I have often taught in my, my own self, and that is, how will I give an account of those people I refuse to be a testimony to? Do you realize that I have the power of the Word of God behind me? When I was in the military many years ago, uh, I was stationed in England. Oh, excuse me, I was in Germany at the time. And I had a dreaded kidney stone. I passed it by God's grace. And on the day that they came to pick me up, I remember the words that came out of the folks' mouth, Jeff was killed last night. A young airman. He was thrown out of a third-story window out of somebody who was high on alcohol, and he landed face first on concrete and killed him instantly. The boy was from Berea, Kentucky. I remember that to my dying day. 
And yet when I had the opportunity, I never witnessed to him of Christ. Now, does that take away from election? No. Does that take away from the opportunities we had to preach the word of God? I didn't do it. But Paul said, do you fear God more? Or do you fear man more? I want us all to think about that for a moment. Do we fear the Lord in the fact that he has a job for us to do? Or do we fear man more? This week, it's been such a trying week for my family. Because not only did my brother Dennis lose his baby boy at 31 years of age, and and the, uh, the heartache we had to face that, and the challenge of our family as we begin to face the death of Jacob, but I don't know his spiritual condition. I don't know where he will spend eternity. My hope is that he has trusted in Christ as his Lord and Savior. That's the only hope any of us have. And yet, in tenderness, I wanted to preach the gospel to those that were there to let them know that there is only one hope. Well, I want to be where Granny is. Well, Granny may be in the pits of hell. Do you really want to be in the pits of hell with Granny? And yet, what does Paul say? We persuade, fearing the things of God first. Look what it says in verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. In other words, relieving ourselves of the conscience, relieving ourselves of the terror, relieving ourselves of the judgment. Look at verse 12. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion of glory on our behalf, that you may have somewhat to answer them, which are glorying in appearance and not in heart. For whether we are beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge... That we, if we, if that if one die for all, then we are all dead, and that he died for all, that they should li- which live should not henceforth live unto them uh, themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, you now henceforth know him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Now, let me ask you. How many of us are offended when someone preaches about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Can I see a show of hands? Not in this confinement. But go into the world and tell them of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they will be offended. Why? Why? Because they don't know the Christ that we know. And yet as we tell them of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, they will either hate us or the Holy Spirit will begin to make it known unto them their need of Christ. Isn't that the truth? I don't have to say, well, you must not be Baptist. You're not like me. You must not be this because you're not like me. You must not be that. No, no, no. I want them, first of all, to know Christ as my Savior. I want them to know the same Jesus that saved me, and I'm going to live that testimony so they can see it as well. And if you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, my question to you is, why are you running from him? 
Why are you running away from him? Now, we can hide behind the cloak of, well, we believe in sovereign grace. I understand that. But the persuasion part of the, the, the factor that goes in is that I need to preach the word of God in its fullness and let it all fall where it may. Do you realize we preach a calling for all men to be saved? And who's going to be saved? Those that believe. Isn't that the truth? And who are those that are going to come to know Christ? The ones the Holy Spirit opens the understanding to. What I fear in my own country, I woke up the other morning and I, I just had so much on my mind. I woke up Thursday morning and this same day as the funeral service that was going to occur. But I wasn't thinking of the funeral. I was thinking of the poor estate of our own country. Why did I have that fear or why did I have that condition in my heart? Because I look upon our congregations and outside of a few young people, we are for the most part an older congregation. We have allowed the government to say, you can't have the Bible in schools. Well, then we ought to take our kids out of school. We have allowed the government to say, you can no longer have the Bible reading or prayer in school. Like someone said, as long as teachers give tests, there will always be prayer in school. But the reality is, if, even if prayer is removed from a daily testament, then I still should pray, Lord, help me to be the man of God that I should be every day before those people I come in contact with. Like Brother Ron, I still work. You know, I, I work because I enjoy it. I've retired twice. When I was a college professor, I used to provoke my students. Provoke is a good word. Provoke them into argument about the things of God. Because I could not just bring up the things of God. And you know what would provoke them more than anything? The words, the Lord's willing. The Lord's willing. Is that not scriptural? And the way we say it nowadays is the good Lord's willing and the creek don't rise. Don't we say that? And most people don't even know what the creek rising means, which was the creek Indians, not the, the creek in front of our house. But the reality is, if I provoke someone to ask questions about Jesus Christ, I could then step away from the teacher into the role of the preacher. And every one of us that are here today, we have the opportunity, whether we're with our children. My granddaughter did this to me. She said, now, Grandpa, if you're going to try to teach me about being a young earth, we know that, that, that you're wrong. I said, really? I said, well, that's interesting. I said, I'm not going to do that. I said, but I got a question for you. She said, what's that? I said, you're not old enough to remember the moon landing, but I am. 1969, remember that? And do, how many of us were alive when the, the, the lunar module got ready to go down to the moon? And they said, well, we don't know if the lunar module will, will sink into thousands of feet of dust. And they said, because lunar dust goes up about one inch every thousand years. How many of us remember that report? There's a few. The rest of you wasn't watching TV or you're not old enough to remember. 
And when the lunar module landed, it landed in six inches of dust. I said, they changed their theory after that. What happened? She said, I've never heard that before. I said, well, let me give you another instance. I said, we have a dwarf sun or dwarf yellow star that is the man is supplying the heat for our earth. I said, it only lasts about 10,000 years. Then how can this earth be billions of years of age? How's that possible? And I said, do you realize that they're trying to steer you clear of believing Jesus Christ? as the only true Messiah that has come to this earth to die and to redeem that which was lost. I don't know if you believe in evolution. I hope there's no one in this congregation that does because I'll tell you this, evolution is a, is a lie that has been presented by the demons, by the devil himself. Reality is, is that if we have fear over the things of God, we will never know the truth. Let's go to John chapter 7. And let's understand where the heart of truth should be. These are things that are given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, we know this entire book is about the Lord. But notice what it says, if you will. Let's go down to verse 33. And I do realize that I read a lot from the scripture when I'm preaching. But I want you to get this. In verse 33, he said, then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while am I with you, and then I go to him that sent me. Jesus knew the whole time that he was upon this earth that he was sent of God because he is God and that he came to this earth to declare the will of God. The whole time that Jesus was here, it was one that he presented the message. Verse 34 said, you seek me and shall not find me and where I am, thither you cannot come. Then said the Jews amongst themselves, whither will he go? Where will he go that we shall not find him? Will he go, with the dis, uh, uh, go, go into the dispersed among the Gentiles and teach the Gentiles? What manner of saying is this? That he said, you shall seek me and shall not find me. And where I am, thither you cannot come. And the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Let him come to me. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now, this was just a catalyst. I want you to go on down now to the remaining of this verse, to verse 45. And I want you to see those that were sent to take Jesus, what they had to say. Look at verse 45. Then came the officers to the chief priests and the Pharisees and said unto them, Why have you not brought this man? Notice what they said. The officers answered, neither man spake like this man. This brings a question. We talk about Jesus being full in us. How many of us have heard so many preachers say, we desire revival? We desire to have the change. And I had a question that came to me, and I never thought about this. Why do I want revival? Why do I want revival? Do I want something temporary that's going to spring up and be exciting for a little bit and then go away? Or do I want something that's lasting? A true revival is something that lasts, and it's the preaching of the Word of God, and it doesn't go away. 
Go back and read the revivals that, that occurred before the Revolutionary War. Read the Cumberland revivals and see what happened then. Go in and see what happened after World War II when churches began to have tent meetings and there was even more preaching. Why do we want revival? I want revival for one reason, because I want to preach the Word of God as though Jesus would speak through me on a regular basis so that others would know Jesus as well. Here's the problem. I find myself over and again not drawing close to God, but I'm drawing close to myself. I find over and over again that I want to impress myself, not the people that should hear the message. Do you want to be impressed by those that are around you? Or do you want Jesus to say, when our day is done, come home and well done? Frankly, I want to hear the words well done. I used to lead a lot of camps. My last youth camp that I remember was in California. And I had gotten in great shape, brother. I mean, I'm telling you what, I looked good. I felt good. I was doing great. I lost down to about, about 200 pounds. I was feeling great. And we're getting ready to have the annual faculty campers game. Man, I couldn't wait. And one lady came up to me and she said, Brother Prater, there's a girl that's doubting her salvation. Wow. What are you going to do? I tossed the basketball to my teammates and said, I got work to do. And I went down to this little girl and she was there. She was frantic. And you know what she was frantic about? Just what you brought this morning. How do I know I'm saved? You know what my answer was? It's not for me to tell you you're saved. The responsibility is for you to tell me you're saved. And so I began to show her the Word of God, and I asked her this question, Who is your Savior? Who is your Savior? Are you trusting in yourself? You're doubting your salvation, and why are you doubting your salvation? Are you trusting in your good works? Are you trusting how many times you go to church? Are you trusting in the things that you say to people that are around you? No good. But when our confidence is with the Lord Jesus Christ, then there's something that's brand new. All the things that are important to me are gone. You know, one thing that, that history doesn't tell us about is Nicodemus. How many of you all know that Nicodemus is a saved individual or by his testament? And you know how we know that? Not only the final conclusion of John in the Gospel of John, but what he did afterwards. Do you know he was a rich man and he gave up all of his possessions? He did. And every day he gave praise to the Lord God for the salvation that he had upon himself. I wonder how many of us get up every day and we say, Lord, thank you for saving a worthless man or woman like me. Come on. How many of us want to do that? I am what I am by the grace of God, not by my own volition, not by my own ability. In fact, I gave up preaching for the longest time. You know why, brother? Because I thought 
I couldn't be a man of God like I should be. And then one man made a wonderful statement. He said, hello, pastor. And I thought, why did you call me? He said, because God has called you to be a pastor, not man. Think about that for a moment. Who called you to be a sinner from sin or sinfulness to Christianity? Who called you to be a believer? Was it God or was it man? I might persuade you to become a believer, but ultimately it's the power of the Holy Spirit that must draw you to Christ. And then when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have to rejoice. It's interesting. One of the girls that I, I had the opportunity to tell about Jesus was at another youth camp. Her name was Dion. And that night, I'm serious, that night, it was the worst night in the world to tell someone about Jesus. I had my Bible in my hands, and I went up to, to tell her about Jesus Christ, and there was the worst thunderstorm you've ever seen. How in the world can anyone come under conviction when you have a bad thunderstorm? And the PA system went out. I was preaching at the top of my voice, and I still don't think they heard me all. And afterwards, she came up to me and she said, Brother Prater, I want to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. I took her and another girl into another room, and all the lights went out. Well, here I am now with my Bible in my hand, can't see a thing that I have. This was before cell phones. And I started quoting to her scripture that God laid on my heart. And in the midst of the darkness, she said, Brother Prater, I said, yes. She goes, the Lord saved me. You know what I told her? You can't. I've still got three more verses to go. One. One child. And if I could persuade you that are lost to come to know Jesus Christ, I would do so. But I can't. I can only deliver the message that he has given me to preach. And here's the truth. Jesus came to this earth, lived a pure and sinless life, was proven to be worthy as the Lamb of God to die upon the cross of Calvary. He gave himself over to his accusers. And his life was taken from him. But that's not the end. That would have made him a martyr. But three days later, as scripture foretold, he arose from the grave and appeared up to 500 at one time, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And they believed. But you know who doubted? I'm going to show this to you. Oh, this is so good. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. I want you to see this. Most people never see this in Matthew chapter 28. Let's go to verse 16. The Lord's about ready to give them a great commission. Then the 11, why wasn't there 12? Because Judas Iscariot had already committed suicide and had yet been appointed, you know, a replacement for him. Then the 11 disciples went into Galilee unto a mountain which Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, and if this isn't underlined in your Bible, underline it, but some doubted. How many of us have ever seen that before? 
some have doubted. Even what you brought up this morning, some have doubted. But when did it become real? Seven days later, when they received the Holy Spirit, and then they understood everything was not dependent upon them, but upon Christ. In Christ alone, I give my all. He is the hope, my one, my call. How many of us know that? He is the one. In Christ alone, I give it all. So when Mike Prater passes from this life, I go to a better place. Someone asked me the other day, are you ready to die? No. Why aren't you ready to die? For me to live as Christ. To die is gain. I want to live for Christ. How many of us want to live for Christ? I love it. Don't you wish everybody could say, I want to live for Christ? Then this little church and Zion Baptist Church and Grace Missionary Baptist Church, we would turn this world upside down for our Savior. Amen. Thank you all so much for allowing me to be a part of your conference today. I pray the Lord will bless and provide for us. Brother, I turn it back over to you. I'll try to get this turned off. <laughs>